This is God's word. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. God of grace, as we come into this room with um, all kinds of different things on our minds, in different spiritual journeys, some of us maybe resonate with words in this passage about groaning, waiting, in some significant way in our life, those, those words ring true. Maybe we wonder when we'll stop groaning and stop waiting. And maybe we are thankful because we're not in that mode anymore and we were for so long. And some of us resonate with the idea of, of a spirit, Holy Spirit, connecting with us in some kind of real way. We don't maybe know if we can believe in that. We don't know what that means. Maybe we once have felt your presence and there's enough of you in our life that we showed up here, but yet we just want more and we wonder if what we've sensed so far is enough to sustain us. Wherever we find ourselves, help us to acknowledge and to believe deep down that we are all in the same boat despite our differences. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. Each of us is more broken than we want other people to know. And yet, that is answered by you, by moving towards us in your grace. That's why we're here. That's the the pervasive staying power that you've given the Christian faith. You move towards us in our messes, forgiving, bringing mercy, charting a new course for our life through your grace. So would you do that today? Would you teach us through that grace in such a way that our lives would be transformed and would move forward with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wanted a a little advantage in life in some significant way? Just a slight edge? Um, Actually, relevant to current events, uh, the Stanley Cup, I don't know if you know, that just kind of wrapped up, and I don't even know, I didn't watch any of it or any highlights, but the American team won, right? Is that right? So, The Bruins. Where are they from? 
Boston. Oh, yeah, that, that place. You're happy, aren't you? Um, so Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book called Outliers where he found out, he, he found out that um, Canadian professional hockey players, um, by the vast majority of them, have birthdays within the same period of the year. The vast majority. So he started researching, he started digging around, and he realized that this, was sh- this wasn't showing that they necessarily got into the, to the pros just because of sheer talent above all the rest, but they actually had another edge, they had another advantage. So if he traced it all the way back to those, the first peewee hockey league that all these Canadian children enter into, and this is what he found, is that those who, when they entered that first kind of little league hockey experience, those who had the advantage of about four or five months um, in age because of the, the, the birthday cutoff for entry into the league, those were the ones you know, who consistently stood out just enough and then that little advantage, that slight advantage, followed them through each league and each step of the way so that they got more opportunities and more advantages. And it just built, built, built it up to the effect that now you have most professional Canadian hockey players all born in the same time of the year. That's amazing. He also found out, he looked at, you know, well, is Bill Gates who he is just because he stood up above all the rest? Well... Maybe, but maybe also because he just happened to have access to computers in a time when no one else did. Like, almost no one had the kind of access that Bill Gates did to computers when he was at that age, just before the age of computers, just when we were ready for the the PC to come into our world. And he was the one who got his, as Malcolm Gladwell puts it, his 10,000 hours of computer programming in before anyone else. You know, there were people, geniuses of the same level 10 years later than him and 10 years before, but he came in just at that right time with access to computers that no one else had. And so you have Bill Gates. Could have been... Steve Gates or something. I mean, that's, that's the idea. There's all these little advantages that we have. And um, quite frankly, when you and I are hoping for an edge or hoping for an advantage in life, it usually has something to do with the difficult things that the world is throwing at us, the situations we find ourselves in, the brokenness of this world, the mess, the, the trouble, the uphill climb that we find ourselves in and we wish. Sometimes you'll, you find yourself, all of us do, we find yourself in a place where you're wondering, oh, you know, what if I just had, you know, this benefactor that helped me out in this kind of a way? Or what if I just suddenly stumbled onto money in this and wouldn't have to worry about this part of life? And what if this door just opened that I've been banging my head against over and over? Do I have some kind of advantage maybe that I can pursue in getting there? And uh, it turns out that if you look at things spiritually in terms of the Bible, that you can put it this way, that Christians, in this very difficult world, Christians... Amidst all the suffering and all the trials and all the difficulty of life, Christians have an edge because of the Holy Spirit, a sort of Holy Spirit edge. Um, and the truth is that the question that that answers is, what does being a Christian do for me? What does the Holy Spirit do for me when life gets to the point where I can't bear it, where I don't know if I can get for- move forward? I don't know if I can handle all the stuff being thrown at me. I don't know if I can suffer another day. The answer is the Holy Spirit gives the Christian the edge. That's kind of the theme. Put it a little more crassly and perhaps in Mark Holland speak, life sucks, but the Holy Spirit gives you an edge, some kind of an edge. And what happens here, we have to to delay direct mention and direct talking about the Holy Spirit a second because what happens in Romans 8 is this question is answered about the kind of Holy Spirit edge that we have if you're a Christian. 
we have to delay talking directly about it because it sets this big, kind of like the camera unzooms and pans out and looks at, now what is the big picture to understand even suffering and difficulty and the brokenness that we face and why we're so desperate for an edge or an advantage? So let's look at, let's look at three things from Romans 8. It goes like this. There's the context of your Holy Spirit edge. There's the hope in your Holy Spirit edge. And there's the like so the specifics of your Holy Spirit edge. So we'll get just be patient with getting to the Holy Spirit part. That's point three. The context, though. What's the context for your edge? Um, the way I put it in terms of the context, just a second ago, as I said, life sucks. Paul's a little more eloquent in this passage, and he talks about things like creation being frustrated. He talks about all of creation, also humans groaning. He talks about there being this um, this bondage to decay. In other words, there's this wreckage all around us. If you're willing to open your eyes and see it, we don't we don't very eagerly want to believe that about our world. In fact, we we avoid it. But it's true. I mean, if you just look at the newspaper today, but if you look at history. You see the same thing, and you kind of say, well, let's see, in the history books, there it is, war, oppression, um, humans inventing new kinds of ways of doing evil. You look at the newspaper, same thing. I don't know if it's gotten much better. Um, you look at, the, you look at history, the history books, and you see disease and tragedy. You see natural disasters falling on cities that are unprepared for them. You look at the newspaper, same thing. I have a friend who... Um, I have a friend who was telling me that he doesn't listen to like the BBC News. He refuses to listen to it because it's just so depressing. <laughs> in other words, if you kind of back up and look at the whole picture of the world, and if you really soak it in, these things, the wreckage, the, the pain, the evil, it's just there throbbing over and over. In fact, it's sort of, it's, it begins to be not surprising, really. What is surprising is this. We have this stubborn resistance to believing that the world should be that way. Have you noticed this? That's the real puzzle. Why are we so firm in our belief that the world could be better? Why did I go to a kindergarten promotion ceremony this week and all the little kindergartners were singing a song that basically said, um, let's all just make the world a little better, something like that. Um, I mean, that's the general idea, <laughs> the, and the, not even close to the tune. But, but it, it was cute. But the real puzzle is not the real puzzle is not that there's suffering and that you'll encounter difficulty in this li- in this life. Sorry if you're in your your 20s and and you haven't suffered much yet. To, I'm sorry to tell you that you will. And that's not the real surprise. The real surprise is that no one walked up in that kindergarten ceremony and grabbed their kid and said, "Stop singing these lies." <laughs> I, <laughs> You know, I mean, that's the surprise. Where are the people stoically saying, um, let's teach our kids, um, I expect suffering from this world, but that's going to be okay because that's just how it is. I mean, why, why are we not teaching our kids that, in a sense? That's the, re- that's the real puzzle. And here, if you're in, in any way in process with the Christian faith, trying to figure out, it, you know, you haven't planted yourself within it yet, fully not sure where you stand... That's a, a very legitimate question to pursue is how do you explain that? How do you explain our stubborn belief that the world could be better somehow? Why are we so stuck on that idea? 
I think the Bible offers a, a pretty satisfying answer if you kind of follow it. And you'll be the judge, but what Christianity does is it doesn't offer you the sort of lightweight, lovey-dovey, fuzzy, vague concept of, you know, all we need is love, love is all we need, and, and somehow that'll work out. But it does offer, it offers an answer. But what it does is it goes, it, it goes, it takes very seriously the wreckage of the world and the mess, takes it very seriously, it owns it, it looks at it straight on, but it also gives you um, a secure footing for hope. Um, creation, or sorry, Christianity makes a daring claim that creation was good initially. That it wasn't always, you know, it wasn't always this wreckage after wreckage and trouble after trouble and evil after evil. That, there actually was a time when it wasn't like that and God made all things really good. And then at the, at the, what we call the fall, when humanity went their own way and thought life might be better without God, um, what happened was, and Romans 8 just kind of, uh, uh, just kind of pours out this, this whole idea that what had something changed at the fall, and all of creation went into this other mode now of, of really being, being in, in a stage of decay and bondage and frustration. Somehow, the fall of humanity kind of brought that. Those two were in tandem. Um, and now we all experience it. And so, according to this way that the Bible, this framework that the Bible puts, puts suffering in, there's no amount of decay or suffering or trial that you'll go through. There's no amount of it that will snuff out that inner impulse that you still have that says, I was made for better than this. I was made to be better than this. I was made for a better world than this. And that, that's how the Bible goes about explaining that oddity that we're so stuck on the world being a better place. Is that, well, because you were made for a better place. And there's a hope in Jesus, that we'll get there someday. Um, so, so you and I groan in life. Um, we groan our way through life because we have a sort of a, a sort of a primal imprint on our psyche of what the world is meant to be like. Um, and, and you can be the judge of of whether you buy that kind of that way of explaining that. Um, but eventually you have to find some way of explaining why when trouble comes into your life, you don't say, yep, I knew about that. They taught me that in kindergarten. Um, and instead, you, you know, we don't, we don't act like we say, well, this is life. We say, no, why is this happening? We look at an injustice and we know it's injustice. We say, no, it shouldn't be like that. And when trial and suffering and when you're really going through the ringer in life and you don't know if you can go another day, you, you look around and you say, who's, who's doing this to me? Who do I point a finger at? Why is this shouldn't be happening? Got to find a way to explain that. And and so as we move so we move on to the hope in your Holy Spirit edge. There's a hope in becoming a Christian. Really, what becoming a Christian does is that you transition from just having a primal maybe instinct of the world should be a better place. You transition to having that become concrete hope with specifics attached to it. Specifics like um, a new creation someday. Specifics like we'll have a new body and that the frustration and the groaning that you and I feel in life will be liberated from that. Those are specific aspects of the the Christian hope. 
amidst a, a broken world, a world of suffering. And those are all, those are pretty amazing things. If you can hang on to those and believe that that's true against all odds, that's pretty amazing. I mean, all those things are hinted at here as we read through Romans 8. But you've got to notice the huge point that's made right in the middle of all that in verse 23. Um, as the Apostle Paul is writing this, he says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Right in the midst of all the specifics of the hope, does, does that hope take away our groaning? Does that hope take away suffering? No. Christians are promised to, to our dismay, to promise to groan right along with everybody else in all of creation. To suffer, to go through trials, to go through difficulty. Paul's just saying, yep, that's, that's how it works still. Um, that may seem like a, really what the Bible often does and what this passage does. It, it opens up sort of a, it makes itself very vulnerable to your critique and to you having problems with the Christian faith. But at the same time, what, what it's doing is it's, it's being very honest and not promising something that, that God's not going to deliver on. It's not promising that the groaning for you is going to stop. And actually what it does is it, dec- it discredits some of the bankrupt options that you have in dealing with suffering in your life. For example, as evil and suffering and problems come into your life, you could, sh- you could turn off the communication with God. You could decide... The suffering and the evil itself, its existence, and the fact that it's coming on me, negates the reality of God. God can't, how could God exist amidst this? How could I believe that a good God exists while this is happening? Romans 8, convinced that you can continue to groan. In fact, expects, that's life, that's life. There's still a way to make sense of, in fact, I would put it this way, that God the Bible believes firmly that God is going to show himself to be a greater, more amazing, glorious God by by existing simultaneously in the midst of your worst trial and difficulty and suffering. Those those who end up believing that are the ones who, I don't know if you've noticed, who who writes the books? Who writes the Christian books about joy? (laughs) It's always these people who have just gone through horrible suffering and God becomes bigger and bigger so that's um, that's one of the things that that Romans 8 is discrediting by being upfront about the fact that Christians still groan one of the books I loved that I read um, last summer was The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell and the main character Emilio has this, this riveting dialogue where towards the end of the book he says in this intense scene he says You see, that is my dilemma because if I was led by God to love God step by step as it seemed, if I accept that beauty and and that the rapture were real and true, then the rest of it was God's will too. And that, gentlemen, is cause for bitterness. But if I am simply a deluded ape who took a lot of old folktales far too seriously, then I brought all this on myself and my companions and the whole business becomes farcical, doesn't it? The problem with atheism, I find, under these circumstances, is that I have no, no one to despise but myself. If, however, I choose to believe that God is vicious, then at least I have the solace of hating God. Now, there's a lot more he's bringing up there than what I'm intending to deal with, but just notice that this is someone, this character, is on the edge of wrestling with whether to go to God with the groaning. 
and the suffering and the evil and the difficulty of life or to shut God off. And you've, you've either been there or you're going to be there. And what Romans, actually kind of a scandalous thing that Romans actually says, going to God is, is the right way to go with your groaning. Why? Because actually God had a hand in somehow allowing all of creation to be subjected to frustration. Did you notice that wording? That God was even involved in the creation being subjected because of a greater hope God had, a greater future God had planned. In other words, don't shut the door off to God with your your struggle, your trial, because going to God, you might actually find the bigger hope within which your difficulty makes sense. You might not get all the answers, but in, as the Bible sort of portrays it, I think God, if you came to God and you're saying, God, why have you subjected the world to all of this? Why have you subjected me to all these things that are going one after another and you're stacking them up one after another and look at my life? Are you doing this to me? Why have you subjected me to this? You go to God like that. The kind of answer the Bible reflects that God is capable of is to say something like, oh, if you, if you could only see the bigger picture, if you could only see the plan I have, not only for you, but for all of this, and if you could even just have one seed of the hope for all of that to play out, man, that would be enough for you. And that, folks, that is what the Holy Spirit gives you. That is, the, as we move to point three, that is the specifics that the Holy Spirit gives you. And, and, and here's the deal, is that this whole chapter 8, we didn't read all of it, but throughout it, it's really a Holy Spirit chapter, because these things about the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit kind of helps us, they're dropped in at these different points. So let's just look at four of them, and then we're done. Just quick, kind of hit these four things, these specifics that the Holy Spirit does amidst your difficulty and the struggles in life. Uh, the specifics of the Holy Spirit. And ch- chapter 8, verse 1 starts out with it, um, saying that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free. Um, it continues to go on, but I want to just explain. Uh, I just want to point out this, this first point, that the life in the Spirit assures you that God will not condemn you. Life in the Spirit assures you that God will not condemn you. Um, in the worship guide on page 4, there's a, a great quote by the old preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit at the beginning, a little bit at the end. Or I, Actually, I'm just going to skip a little bit at the second sentence. But he says this, The Holy Spirit then gives us assurance of our acceptance and our forgiveness. And then moving on to the third line. No Christian has a right to be uncertain about his or her salvation. The Holy Spirit has been given in order that we might be certain. If any Christian who is reading this is uncertain or is lacking in assurance and in lacking in assurance and in happiness, ask for this blessed assurance. Tell God you long for it. Do not give yourself rest or peace. And in a sense, do not give God rest or peace until you have it. I just love the boldness he suggests there. And the certainty that he's suggesting. And that's coming right out of Romans 8, verse 1. There is now no condemnation. Um, think about it this way. You, you deal with condemnation on a human level. And a lot of times you take that over wondering about if it also might apply on a God level. Maybe you've experienced a friend 
or friends turning on you or you know, kind of turning other people's opinion against you. Condemnation. Maybe you've experienced on a parental level or a sibling level. Condemnation. It kind of sets you on an edge. It makes you afraid. And it also, it affects how you go to God. Fear of, is God going to condemn me? And how can, how can you be so sure that, that verse 1 is true? There's no condemnation. Well, because Jesus, because when Jesus, God's son, came into this world, he experienced condemnation on a human level, and then he experienced something that you will never have to experience. He experienced condemnation by God the Father. And how do you know? Because he's on the cross and he cries out Psalm 22, the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And right there you know something's going on very powerful and it affects you. He's saying those words in your place. He's saying those words so that you never have to. Now in Christ, the Spirit convinces us, now in Christ there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Um, That's the daily recitation that you have as a Christian through life in the Spirit. That's what the Spirit's saying to you. That's what life in the Spirit says to you. Um, the, other, the other three, just a little quicker. In verse 14, um, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The second thing that the Spirit does to us or for us is this Holy Spirit can lead you. That's just a very simple, powerful thing to notice is that you can, if you're a Christian, you can... You can, no matter how much you think you, you know what to do in any kind of situation, no matter what happens, you can pray a sort of yielding prayer, a prayer of saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't even know if I have faith. I don't know how to proceed. I don't know how to be spiritual in this kind of situation. Will you lead me through your Holy Spirit? Will you bless me with your Holy Spirit to lead me through this? And there's something about that that I can't explain it. I don't know much more to say about the specifics of it, but it's talked about throughout Scripture as... It's just the reality of life as a Christian. And the third thing comes in verses 15 and 16, where um, we have this great interplay right after that verse I just read, where the Holy Spirit, you get to verse 16, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, this is, this is really amazing. Um, you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, whispering into your ear, as it were, to tell you about your true identity, something that's so true about you that can never be taken away, and just open up your ears to hear that whisper and to believe that it's true. You have the Holy Spirit whispering into your ear saying, you are now God's child. You're, you're, God's, you're one of God's favorite. Picture someday being fully in God's presence and God's reaction being, oh, finally, come on. One of my favorites here, come on. And that's, you're one of God's chi- children. And that, make, that makes a tremendous difference in your life. That makes a very real different difference in your specific problems that you deal with in your life. Imagine you have two women, and they both have $1,000 in their purse, but one of them, the day before, uh, the day before, a million dollars has just been put into her bank account. And then this day happens, and they both get their purse stolen. Both of them, $1,000 purse stolen. Does that make a difference? <laughs> The, the one woman, she's devastated, right? But the woman with a million dollars in her bank account, obviously, it's just kind of, well, you know, all right, I'll be okay, I think. And that's exactly, that's exactly how it works if you know 
how secure it is that you are God's child. If you're listening to the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, you are, my, you are God's beloved child, knowing that changes how you deal with every single problem, every difficulty, every relationship, every life decision. You are God's child. You're in His arms. His, he's got His life, your journey. He's got it all wrapped up. Divine parent, divine father. And then lastly, in verse 26, this, this is the amazing thing that's spoken of, is that as if all those three things aren't enough, that the Holy Spirit, let's review them, the Holy Spirit assures you that God won't condemn you. The Holy Spirit, um, uh, you can give yourself over to be led by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit whispers into your, your ear that you are God's child. And then fourth, the Holy Spirit prays for you on your behalf. God is so concerned amidst the difficulties and struggles that you go through. He's so concerned about your journey and about your connection to Him that that His Holy Spirit has this interplay with God the Father, bringing the requests, in a sense, the requests you should be praying, bringing them to God. So, you know, so often we don't know what to pray for. My my kids um, don't know what to ask for for you know for Christmas or for their birthdays. They ask for things that I know. As a parent, I, oh, that's not so good for them. Picture, picture a kid just asking over and over to their parent for, um, for a video game. You know, over and over and over. And, you, and the parent knows that they're just way too young for that. Instead, the parent gives them for their birthday a, a book of poetry. <laughs> How's that feel, right? Well, the, the, the child uh, objects and, you know, feels terrible. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's an angelic child and they, they kind of hold it under and don't, you know, express their disappointment. But then, if you know the bigger picture, if you know that someday, 20 years later, this child now grown has just got accepted into a literature program at some, you know, prestigious school, and that now grown child is, is thinking back to the first time that they got a love for poetry that set them on this course of their calling what they've now become and this fun i mean that's a little bit what it's like god looks at you and your situation and you don't know what you you pray for things and god wants you to open up the floodgates of prayers and, and pray and pray and pray but you don't know what you need even and the holy spirit prays the prayer you would pray if you could see what god sees about your story that's how much God loves us, and that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. So let's join in prayer together. God, thank you for how much you love us, how much you are bent on us knowing you and knowing your goodness and knowing how gracious you are. Please bless this church with your Holy Spirit. Please bless, um, bless this community with an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that helps us to know you better and reflect you more and to believe deeply that we 